son is 16, my daughter is 13. I've had to rethink parenting and no longer parent them like children. That has been the toughest thing. That they are now young adults, they've both been through puberty, they both could have kids if they wanted to. And in many parts of the world, they would be married and have kids. And so you can't keep parenting your teenagers like children. Welcome to the Fred Opie Show, where you learn how to make a difference on and off the field. I'm your host, Fred Opie, an athlete turned author, producer, professor, and editor. I use my story and the stories of others to help you figure out what your gifts are, find the right places and activities to develop them, and give you a plan to give, save, and spend your money and time wisely. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a college professor? My friends often ask me, do you really grade all those papers? Yes, I actually grade all those papers. Today's show is a celebration of the end of the spring semester here at Babson College. During the semester, I interviewed students in two sections of a course I taught on African history and food waste. The interviews served as a way of getting to know each other better, and the students say they became a memorable part of the course along with the life lessons I've shared along the way. I do the same with the U14 girls lacrosse team I help coach. Author John Gordon shared the concept as part of a team-building exercise he recommends in his book, The Power of a Positive Team. I recommend the book to teachers, coaches, parents, and managers as a great read. At the end of each semester, I have started the tradition of giving students the option of interviewing me, and they love it, as you will hear. The sophomores, juniors, and seniors in the course ask me about my childhood, my days as a Syracuse student-athlete, how I met my wife, parenting, career advice, and reflections on my life and career and my future plans. You will hear some accents because we have quite a few students in the class who are foreign nationals. Sit down, relax, enjoy, exercise, wash dishes, do laundry while you enjoy this week's interview. Thanks for joining us. What is thing you know about your family history? that I have a great-great-grandfather who was from the Caribbean and that the family name originally was O-P-I-A, Opia. My friends will think it's Nigerian or Senegalese. Do you have like a specific childhood memory or person from your childhood that you think has impacted your life today? School was tough. I mean, it was really tough. And then my family moved from a town that had about 10% African-American and my mother's experience growing up in that town was African-Americans didn't get a lot of opportunities because of that. So she moved to a predominantly white community. And the problem that they didn't understand was it was a community where you were expected to assimilate and acculturate to them. And so they wanted you, but they didn't want your culture. And it was really hard. And a lot of insensitive things were done or said by teachers and students because they didn't know. I mean, it's hard enough being a kid, period but then you had any dimension of being different, and it was hard. So I don't have these favorable memories of when I was in elementary school, when I was in middle school. I, mean, I don't really have those stories. Why Syracuse? So as a high school athlete, I developed self-esteem from athletics. The learning disability I had made school so hard for me. I mean, there was no ego, no scratching of the itch with school. It was really hard. But the place where I got the <coughs> ego scratched and developed self-esteem was, was on the field. 
So I quickly decided I want to win a national championship. That's about as deep as I was. And so I wanted to originally go to Maryland, but I recruited Maryland. They didn't recruit me. So they actually ended up offering me a scholarship, like a quarter scholarship, but it wasn't anything. And that year, a guy I played against in high school, who's now a Hall of Famer, he transferred into Syracuse the year they won their first championship in 1983. And I saw him uh, at a party. I ended up going to a junior college about 90 miles from Syracuse. So I ended up going up. I had a relative at Syracuse. I ran into this old opponent, and he said, so what are you doing next year? I said, well, I'm you know, applying to Maryland and getting recruited by them. I really wasn't getting recruited by them. He said, well, you know, you should think about coming here. He said, all three of our starting defensemen, which was my position, they're all graduating, so you should think about coming here. He said, I really like it. So he told the coach about me, and they began to recruit me. Syracuse played in Maryland in the quarterfinals and beat Maryland. And by that time, you know, I'm thinking I want to win a national championship. That's, so I'm like, going to Syracuse. They won their first national championship. I came in on scholarship. That's why I went there. I just happened to fall into being around good teammates who were positive influences with me, but it had nothing to do with school, career, or monetizing my gift. I was pretty shallow at that point. So how would one of your teammates in college describe you back in the days? Back in the day? I think they would say... Hard-working, dedicated, tough, all in. Um, there's moments in the course that you've talked or hinted about like your faith. Uh-huh. Um, if you're like comfortable doing so, I was wondering if you could share a little bit like how it has like evolved through the years and how it impacts your work. So when I went off to Syracuse, coming back to your question, I was all about all about sports. That was it. That was my God. I mean, really, it was it was my God. When I got to Syracuse, I was in. I say seeking mode. I thought all I needed to be happy and satisfied was a national championship. I'm a recruited athlete on scholarship for the number one ranked team in the country. I get there and I never had an emptier feeling in my life. Everything you want, you got, and you feel empty, you feel dissatisfied. And it was right at that moment, it was almost like God had tricked me to get there everything you wanted now what you think buddy it was it was literally like that and it was at that point that people came into my life who uh had a faith and i i made a commitment to jesus christ at that point and i was in a bible study that was with athletes so when you talk about the influencers i mean these guys were influencers and i was in a bible study that probably did more to help me think first of all learn who I actually really was, because I was convinced that I was an athlete and I was dumb. I was pretty convinced. I stayed eligible because I wanted to stay on the field. So my undergrad at GPA, I've alluded to this, was a like a 2.3. Never a great student. But think about it. With the learning disability I had, didn't have medication, didn't have therapy, didn't have any of that, I actually graduated. It was pretty phenomenal to think. But it was after that point, I been, began to reevaluate what I was gifted to do. And when I tapped into that, I mean, things changed. It was almost like, whoa. That's why when I would run into guidance counselors, people from, from high school, and they'd say, I got, I got inducted to my high school hall of fame. And I ran into uh, my coach. And I remember when I first got the scholarship off to go to Syracuse, I had to go to junior college first, community college. And he said, so what are you going to do next year after the community college? I said, I'm going to Syracuse. And he looked, he looked at me and he goes, Syracuse? He goes, you'll never play. And so to go back to school and see these people with all the changes, it's obvious 
something happened in my life, and I think the faith would be the something. It 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 determines, it motivates everything I do, without a doubt. It's my you know my sense. What are some of the things you do to feed your soul? Every morning, my kids, my parents, my wife can tell you, every morning I'm going to be downstairs and I'm going to be reading scripture, praying, working out. That's like every day. It gives me like the balance. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that comes at you. There's a lot of stuff that comes at you as a parent, but having that, having that foundation in my life of prayer, scripture, worship, and then working out, I think is is the critical for me. Without those, like I would never leave my house without prayer. To me, that's like be going into Iraq without a helmet or a gun. I would just never do that. What's your favorite book in the Bible? I think it would be my favorite scripture would be James, James chapter one. Count it all joy when you fall into uh, different tests and trials because you know that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be entire wanting nothing. That would be my one. Faith and patience, the power twins. Um, how did you and Mrs. Obi meet? And, and in what moment did you know she was the right one? Oh, boy. <laughs> that was, that's not fair. So the church that I went to before I went to grad school, I did my master's degree at school down in Pennsylvania, and then I would commute. This is when I was still playing, actually. So I played for a team called Maryland Lacrosse Club. So on the weekends, I would leave Pennsylvania, and somebody before I got down and told about this really good church in D.C. Keep in mind, Pennsylvania, South Central Pennsylvania, they ain't a lot of black folks. So I was going to D.C., nicknamed Chocolate City, to actually have a social life. So I went to this church, a big congregation. I left there, would go to my lacrosse games in the afternoon in Baltimore, and I would come back to Gettysburg College, where I was teaching, where I was coaching. Uh, I finished a master's degree, went to Syracuse, did all the coursework, and then ended up back in D.C. because I was doing research at the National Archives. So it allowed me to be back in D.C., go back to my church. So I met my wife at a Friday night Bible study at my home church. I was gone. She joined the church, and she didn't know me, and I didn't know her. My wife was the toughest woman to let down her guard. She's from um, Alexandria, Virginia, right outside D.C. And the ratio of men to women, because of incarceration, because of a lot of crap, uh, there is seven guys, seven women for every one guy. All right? Seven women for every one guy. Two African Americans. So men run games on women in that area like nobody's business. The first time I asked to go out on a date, we're gonna go get coffee. She refused to ride in my car. She wouldn't take separate cars. So she brought a girlfriend with her and I brought a guy friend with me. She didn't want to just go one-on-one -on -one with me. I don't know who this guy is, right? So <laughs> that's how she was. She would never give me her phone number. It came down to Easter weekend. <clears throat> I'm going to Mexico to give my first conference, a paper at a conference. And I said, look, if you want to get together, we got to do this because I'm leaving. Because after, after a conference, I'm staying in Mexico for six months and I won't be back. Reluctantly, she gave me her number. And the only reason she gave me the number, she told me later, because she was leading to go to Darden School to get an MBA and she knew the number wouldn't work after a while. <laughs> That's the only reason she gave me the number. So she gave me the number, we talked. And when I called her, 
she picked up the phone to turn me down. She did not want to actually go out on a regular date. She was picking up the phone and start telling me. And so I had to like talk her out of turning me down on the first date. So the answer to your question is no, I did not think this was going to be the, the one because when you're in graduate school, you kind of know everybody and women don't put you through all that trauma. They kind of know who you are. So it took a very long time. Matter of fact, she gave me such a hard time. I was like, forget her. And I was, you know, move on. It was, there were some other women, African-American women, that when I would tell her about the stuff she was putting me through, they were like, ooh, I like her. Oh, she did that too? Oh, I like that. Oh, that's good. It's like people I respected told me that's good marriage material. When she finally opened the door to allow us to talk and communicate, then I was like, but it, it didn't happen right away, not at all. The show will be right back. For related content on negotiating the world of school and sports, visit our website at fredopi.com. Check out our podcast archive and review the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. You can purchase a copy of my autobiography slash career advice, Start With Your Gift, on Amazon.com. We are the sum total of the people we spend time with and the books we read. Be a difference maker right now. Purchase two or more paperback copies of Start With Your Gift. Give them away and make a positive impact on someone's life. The book is available in digital form as an ebook and audiobook. Welcome back to this edition of The Fred Opie Show. Um, what would you say you've learned like being married for so long and what advice would you give to us? You know, the, so the two things that have been a great blessing for me is, first of all, married. I'm one of three boys. My wife has given me insight to what it's like to be a woman, what it's to be an African-American woman, and that's been very good. Even better than that was having my daughter. So I had a new level of empathy from my daughter. She has made me a better man. I say, every man needs to raise a daughter, I would say. What is something, or maybe a few things that you've learned um, from parenting? Really good question. Well, so here's the one that most recently, my son is 16, my daughter is 13. I've had to rethink parenting and no longer parent them like children. That has been the toughest thing. That they are now young adults, they've both been through puberty, they both could have kids if they wanted to. And in many parts of the world, they would be married and have kids. And so you can't keep parenting your teenagers like children, and I think that's a big problem. So we've had to rethink that a whole lot, and it's been very hard. But also that, particularly my son, they want the freedom, but the responsibility they don't want. And so how do you, how do you prepare a child to be ready to launch? That's the phase that we're in now, is everything we're doing is trying to get him to the point where when he launches, he'll launch successful. And also, allowing both of them to fail without trying to keep them from failing. Just let them fail and learn from the failures. Probably one of the hardest things in the world when you see your kid and you're going, you don't have to do it like that, but they insist on it, and you gotta just kind of sit back and let them go, and, and, and bite your tongue and go, I told you so. <laughs> That's probably the hardest one. It's one thing on your bucket list that you absolutely have to do. Oh, I gotta get to Africa. I mean, been writing about it, been teaching, my like, God, 
my wife in her romantic disposition, oh, we have to go to Paris. I said, look, I ain't going to Paris until I hit that bucket list in Africa first. You know, I, I just like tell her that. She knows that now. She doesn't ask me anymore. If you could solve one major problem in the world, what would be one? To teach people how to become confident. That, that is to get people to think outside their box and not limit what they could do. If I could come up with a system, and a recipe, and teach that to people, that would be the one thing I would do. The most influential piece of advice you've ever had to you? Fail Forward. Absolutely. There's a book called Fail Forward by uh, John C. Maxwell. Absolutely. Get comfortable with failure. What's your biggest regret in life? That I didn't get earlier that that I learned differently. I wasn't dumb, I learned differently. That I didn't understand that. And how I didn't understand the importance of grit and when things got hard, I would just fold. It took a long time to get the maturity to realize that. What is something that people are always um, surprised to learn about you? <laughs> I think most people from the outside think I'm a lot more um, Harsh. I mean, I'm I'm pretty quiet outside of class, and I'm pretty I'm thinking a lot. So a lot of times, like my thinking face is my game face, and so people are like, oh, he's probably mean. And when they got to know me, they're like, oh wow, he's actually he's actually nice. <laughs> so I think that would be it. Um, what would you say is like your best character trait, and then one that you need to work on? Best character trait. I'm a inquisitive person. I mean, I just. I want to know, I want to read, I want to learn. That's the, I would tell you from my wife, she says sometimes I seem too self-assured about what I want to do. Like, there, I need a little more room for doubt that this could be wrong. If you were in a deserted island with 10 people, what would your role be? Sir, how can I help you? Your best piece of advice or a couple pieces for kids about to graduate don't look at the first job as the job get as many skills as you can and when you see a job that will give you a skill get the skill don't worry about the salary it's the best concert you've ever been to Peter Tosh I saw Peter Tosh on the uh, in New York used to have this uh, waterfront series and it was a whole lot of marijuana smell around me I can tell you that but it was just it was I mean, he's one of the original whalers. I mean, he's, oh, that was, got goosebumps thinking about that one. There is nothing living in your house, so oh, like no boy. family, but it's burning down. You have time to grab one thing. What would you grab? I'm stealing that question for you. <laughs> That's a good, what one thing would I grab from the house? I think I would grab my computer. There's so much content on that computer. I mean, to do so many different things to help so many people, so I probably would grab my computer. Um, if you weren't a teacher and mentor, what's another gift you'd want to us? Do the Anthony Bourdain thing. The alum who I've had, go visit them in Mexico City, Ghana, wherever, go spend three days with them, and they pick the oldest and best cook in the family. We go to the market together to buy the food, we sit down, we have a family meal, and then we ask the question with, what 
did going to Babson mean for you and your family? I think that'd be a lot of fun to go through something like that. Hero hardship highlight. Ooh. Hero. I thought that'd have to be my dad. My dad uh, never went to college, but really smart. Had probably a learning disability like mine. My dad was a sing sing prison guard, maximum security, uh, and very well read. I mean, you could have a conversation with him just like any other historian, very well read. And uh, see, I'm about to cry now. He had leukemia. And he asked me, he asked me on his deathbed, would you speak of our memorial? And I said, yes. That was one of the hardest things I ever did. That would be the hardship. The highlight would probably be when my first book came out because I'm the last one in the world that my teachers in high school would think would go to college, never mind go to grad school. I said, so when the first book came out, probably would be uh, the highlight. What is the one thing that you're most proud of accomplishing in your post-college career? Those emails I get from people I taught or I coached and they say, I get it, like their parents now, and they go, oh, I, I understand why you try to get that principle across to me. You can have some really bad days, but you get one of those emails and you're going, huh. So here's one, I got a student I taught at Marist College. I taught at Marist for seven years. She emailed me and she said, I want to tell you, I was one of your classes, one of, one of the students in your history class, a white female. She said the whole time I was in your class, I thought this guy's full of soup. You know, all this stuff about racism, da 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 They're talking about it. She said she got out to the work world and she, like for the first time, started seeing things for herself. And she found herself going back to her family and trying to share some of these things. And she said, it was almost like the glasses came off and she could see things. That was just a really powerful response from her. How do you see yourself 10 years from now? 10 years from now? 20. 20? Yes. A whole lot more money, a whole lot more influence, and a whole lot more things to be happy about. Thank you all. Remember, I hope you read that. Thank you for trusting the process. You did not have to take it, but you did. Thank you. That's a wrap for this show. Thanks for listening. To hear more content like it, go to fredopi.com. If you have questions about advertising and sponsoring this show, contact us at fdopie at gmail.com. That's fdopie at gmail.com.